You know what's really fun about downloading a new app? What? Is it asking you to rate that app within, I don't know, 0.4 seconds of downloading it? Mm-hmm. Are we doing great? Rate this app one through five. Um, not well, now. Can I? Suck. Right? Can I yeah. just use the app for a second? Gosh, dang. Like, you suck because you asked for a rating immediately. <laughs> um, immediately delete app. So, hi guys. <laughs> uh, hopefully this one's going to go much more smooth than the last one did. Um, we'll see since my notes are immediately out of order. I didn't touch them. <laughs> you did. You're sitting on the first paper. <laughs> Oops. Oof, Maron. Come on. So, guys, um, tonight we're going to be talking about Adnan Saeed. And just a little FYI, it is literally midnight, and I have to work in the morning, but we really, really wanted to get this one done, and I'm super amped about it, and I'm not going to be able to sleep until I talk about it. And we've got three kids running around the house, so. Yeah, we have to get them in bed first. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we're going to be talking about Adnan Saeed. Um, I didn't originally want to do any episodes on Adnan because there is an entire podcast season about him. Um, there's also several episodes about Adnan on True Crime Obsessed. And the queen herself, Rabia Chaudhry, speaks about Adnan all the time. But we've read Adnan. And there's so many wrongs that have been done. He's finally got his freedom and he's being attacked again. So we're just going to go on a rant. I'm going to throw some fun facts at you. Some not so fun facts at you. And we'll cross-check them if we need to. And a great place to start, if you've not listened to the podcast Serial, is watching The Case Against Adnan Saeed. You can find it on HBO Max. Not an ad, <laughs> but you can find it there. So, let's dig in. And I'm just going to start from the beginning and work my way out. I can't do the whole back and forth thing that documentaries do because it really stresses me out beyond measure, and I stay stressed enough as it is, so let's one path track it. Let's do it. I'm going to start by saying that the documentary starts out with Queen Rabia Chaudhry in a Dunkin' Donuts tweeting, because she'd rather be there than in the courthouse building. She was pissed and annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She made it known, too. Uh, She was basically kicked out of the courtroom because the prosecutor said that she might be called as a witness. And was requesting that she be sequestered. So, uh, basically, when they sequester witnesses or invoke the rule in the courtroom, a lot of the time it's going to be on the defense that's going to call it. Uh, before any testimony is heard, they'll take all the witnesses and remove them from the courtroom. And that eliminates their opportunity to coordinate their stories with someone else's. And there's a lot of truth Well, let's say there's a lot of dishonesty that gets exposed through the process of sequestering your witnesses because uh, while you do coordinate your stories beforehand, when the questions and cross-examination occur in the courtroom, nobody knows what those specific responses to those questions are. So that's the purpose of doing it. But the prosecution's reason for uh, sequestering 
uh, Rabia was kind of BS, and it was kind of an underhanded move. But I'll let Jerrica explain that. <laughs> yeah, so Rabia straight up just to the camera said that she would be a hostile witness if she were to be called, which she could bet dollars to donuts, get it, Dunkin' Donuts, mm-hmm. that she wasn't going to be called. He just did it as a move to get her out from behind him. To just kind of, I don't know, go against Adnan's family, um, kind of make them feel left out or like they were alone in it. That's how I got it. Well, the, the way I see it is, uh, for one, it's a legal battle. And so Rabia, at this point, was an attorney, correct? Yeah. So she'd gotten out of law school. She's practicing law. And while she's not representing her brother, she's got a lot to do with the legal research behind his case. And she's been uh, very critical of the state's (laughs) prosecution efforts and very open about it. And I I feel like that was just kind of a, a stab at her to be like, you know, you've caused these problems and we're not going to let you sit here and uh, be present during this. Because the defense initially told uh, the judge that they had no intention on calling. I would be hostile. (laughs) But then she looked at the news camera and said that the prosecutor likely did it because she had been hard on the state and she had no regrets. And that also makes her a queen. Uh, one last thing, I would really just like to hug Robbie. Like, I would probably fangirl scream and pass out if she even acknowledged my existence. <laughs> but I just want to hug her. Like, I love Robbie. Okay, so we're going to go. Um, we're just going to dive right in, you guys. So Adnan, he is an American-born man who was raised by his parents who are Pakistani immigrants. We love them for that, of course. Um, Also, I just want to be in the presence of Shamim. Like, she seems amazing, too. Adnan's mom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So he was arrested and convicted for the murder of Heyman Lee. Uh, She went missing January 13th, 1999. She was 18 years old. She was also Adnan's ex-girlfriend. Hay also had a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance, but don't worry, we'll get back to him. Uh, I want to talk about Hay for a moment because we do highlight our victims here, and her story needs to be heard as well. So Hay, of course, being the first victim here, she is continuously not getting justice because her murder is still out there at large. And has gone free for nearly 24 years. Um, Hay was born in South Korea. And she immigrated to America with her mother and her brother in 1992 to live with her grandparents. She was a part of the magnet program in school. Hay was very popular. She was involved in several clubs. She played lacrosse and field hockey. And she worked part-time at LensCrafters. She had a lot of friends, and everybody loved her. Yeah, and she was also, uh, her family was extremely dependent on her in the home as well, being one of the only people in the home that knew and understood English. She translated for them. Uh, and, and from what I saw, she was just an absolute sweetheart, everybody's favorite student, 
uh, entire student body knew who she was and had good interactions with her. And uh, her losses absolutely felt. She went missing and was reported as such when she didn't show up to pick her cousins up when she got out of school. Her family immediately contacted people, uh, including the police, her friends, her co-workers. And unfortunately, they didn't receive any information that would lead to finding Hay. And her body was ultimately discovered February 9th, 1999, in Lincoln Park. Alonzo... <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> guys, I'm sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> Alonzo Sellers is who found her body, and Alonzo admitted to drinking and driving. Um, he was drinking a beer when he was going back to the school uh, where he worked as a maintenance guy, but he realized that he had to take a leak. Yeah. Uh, so he pulled over and he walked. 127 feet up into the woods to use the bathroom. Um, so he wouldn't be seen in public. At However, this... <laughs> how many times was he charged with indecent exposure? Uh, two times prior. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, he had already been arrested for indecent exposure in 1994 and 1996. But this particular day, we're going to walk 127 feet exactly into the woods in an area known in Baltimore County as being Baltimore's graveyard, which is Lincoln, Lincoln Park. Uh, babe, how many bodies did they find in that park? Um, 79 since 1946. Yeah. Uh, but he walked this particular day, you know, 127 feet out in the woods where he just happened upon the body of our late victim. Um, when they found Hay, Hay was victim number 20 in five years in this in Lincoln Park in this area um but our homeboy Alonzo Sellers was a streaker allegedly of course <laughs> now he was caught in a hoodie sunglasses and white sneakers and anyhow he ran from police and jumped a chain link fence could you imagine had he not made the jump and gotten hung up I'm no man, but ouch. Seen it happen. <laughs> Anyhow, Alonzo had looked down and he saw what he thought was hair and something that looked like a foot. Now, that seems like quite a ways to travel in order for a guy to take a leak. And I've seen guys, my brothers, my husband included, just pull over and block themselves from the view of traffic. And I only know of women who would walk that distance to cover themselves up to pee. It just doesn't make sense to me. Unfortunately, we're going to get back to the matter and say that uh, Alonzo Sellers was the one who found Heyman Lee's body uh, on February 9th of 1999. Then three days later, on February 12th, the police received two separate anonymous phone calls stating that they should be looking at Adnan Saeed. On February 18th, the police subpoenaed his AT&T phone records. And listen, I want you to remember this because it does come back. On February 26th, the police spoke to Jennifer Pusateri. Hey, Mariah. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the other detective is William Ritz. Since Adnan was still a minor and he hadn't turned 18 yet, his father was able to be present during his interview. 
Adnan stated that he didn't know who would have wanted to hurt Heyman Lee. And he even admitted to being in her car before since they had dated. Um, but it was not January 13th that he was in the car. He was quiet with his answers and the detectives, of course, made sure to note that in their friggin' binders and put it in the police reports. Um, when they asked him if he had dated Hay and he very quietly said yes, it was because he didn't want his father to know that they had dated. Yes, they were, so they were a Muslim family and if I, if I remember right, it was all of the females in the family that were strictly against the young men dating. They wanted them to focus on the schoolwork. So in this tight-knit Muslim community, all of the young men would run around (laughs) with their girlfriends and would help each other create airtight alibis so they could spend time with their girlfriends because they wanted to date and not just study and do schoolwork. So the suspicion that they gathered from his reluctance in admitting that he was in an intimate relationship uh, with our victim is because he didn't want his mom and dad to know that he had a girlfriend. Right, right. And um, the father didn't believe that he had a girlfriend because his grades were so good. Yeah. And what was it that they <laughs> called it? The aunt train or something like that? that uh, the aunt committee? Yeah, the aunties would follow them around <laughs> if they were at the mall or something. <laughs> and they would say, oh, so-and-so is with a girl. Or... Boy was talking to a girl, and he got home, and she, the mom had already known and asked him. Yeah. But that's, I love how communities work like that. Unfortunately, this gave the state their theory, um, which they ended up using in trial, saying that Hay was killed by Adnan after she broke up with him, and because of the difficulties of their families and cultural backgrounds and expectations. But don't worry, we'll come back to that too. Just hang tight. So on February 27th, the police interviewed Jennifer Pusateri again, but this time with her attorney because this homegirl got a little bit smart and took an attorney with her. She said that on January 13th, the day that Hay disappeared, her friend Jay Wilds had visited her home. She also said he had showed up driving Adnan's Honda And Jay also had Adnan's cell phone. She said Adnan had called Jay Wilds that afternoon and then Jay left. Jen said that later that night she was contacted by Jay and he asked her to come pick him up at the Westview Mall. She said he got in her car and told her immediately that Adnan had killed Hay Min Lee that afternoon. He had showed Jay her body in the trunk. Then Jen said that Jay told her he drove Adnan's car while Adnan drove Hay's car to Leakin Park and they buried Hay's body. She said that Jay told her they took Hay's car and left it in an alley in the 600 block of Edgewood Street in Southwest. Then he and Adnan drove back to the mall where Jay left with Jennifer. Jennifer said the next day she helped Jay get rid of his clothes in a dumpster behind a drugstore. Okay, now mind you guys, Jennifer ends up being called to testify later, 
And she tells them several times that she doesn't feel like she should be testifying because everything that she knows is third party. It's all hearsay. Yeah. She was also questioned about the differences in her story from the first time she talked to the police versus the second. And her answer for that is she sells weed. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, she... Look, I sell weed and I don't talk to the police about anything. So... Yeah, they had asked her why um, the night of January 13th she hadn't gone to the police then. Yeah. Well, it's because she was selling weed at the time. And we, at that point, you know, I'm sure the amount that they had was still (laughs) a felony. So, and that's all these kids were about, you know. All of them. Going on dates, playing sports, and smoking pot. That was it. I'd not admitted to being high when he got the call from police that Hay was missing. (laughs) He was like, what do I do? What do I tell them? What am I supposed to say? Well, you're supposed to say the truth. (laughs) We're going to go to Chris Floor, the lawyer. The attorney. The long-haired, bald attorney. Yes. So when Adnan was arrested, um, the police are interviewing him. He's initialing his Miranda warning, waiving his Miranda right, and they flip the page. Now, the only thing that he sees in front of him is the Miranda rights. Yeah. And a newspaper which has Hayes' name and face on it, right? Yeah, because you gotta, and, you can't walk into an interview room empty-handed, you know. Oh, well, yeah, right. They didn't have a police report at the time, so, you know, the newspaper clipping had to do. So they flip the page over and he sees what he was arrested for and he sees the charge on there and it says first, first degree, degree murder. murder. And he's thinking to himself, whoa, pump the brakes. What in the heck is going on? I need a lawyer. This is not me. I did not do this. I don't know what the heck is going on. I need a lawyer. He asks them for a lawyer. They start kind of badgering him on the fact that, oh, well, you come in here to talk to us, but but now you're wanting an attorney. You know, what's what's going on here? So, and they were like, but you, you've got an attorney. You can go ahead and call him. He's like, no, I don't have an attorney, but I need to get one. This is serious. Well, he didn't know that his family had already contacted an attorney and put one on a retainer to represent him. So Chris comes into the scene. What's Chris's last name? Floor. And let me tell you, this homeboy is brushing his He's hair. He's cool. He, he says, my wife told me to brush my hair. And dadgummit, if that is not the smartest thing, listening to his wife, you yeah, should learn from him. No joke. <laughs> so this guy, he's a little bit of a hipster. You know, he got out of law school. Now it's time to act right. So he's got this long hair that his family doesn't like. And he made sure he brushed his hair before he went to the PD. He gets to the PD and he hits the intercom. He tells them his name and who he's there to see. They turn him away. An attorney wanting to speak with his client turn him away. They said to him, according to the Supreme Court, we don't have to grant you access to him. And Unless he, said, he asks for that specific attorney. Yeah, right. Unless Adnan asks for him. And he says, well, his family has hired me. He doesn't know that I exist. And they wouldn't let him in. And they sent him packing on his way. 
I have never, never heard of anyone doing that. I just... <sighs> then they ended up hiring Christina Gutierrez, and she did a bang-up freaking job. One thing that I'm going to add in here is they had to do fingerprinting of Jay and Adnan, and they took their DNA while they were at it. There was DNA in Hayes' car when it was found. Um, Jay, of course, led them to the car because he fabricated all these stories. And what he said on the stand is different than what he said in his interview, which was different than he said in the second interview. Which is different than what he told his friends. Yeah, dude had 10 different stories. Jay, you are trash. You are garbage. Now, here's a, here's a question I have, and this is what blows my mind about Jay. You know, the court documents that we've reviewed, everything we've looked at, you can plainly see where there are discrepancies, where he deviates from his original story in so many places, and he's never scrutinized in court for that. You know, and that's where, you know, I would say that the if those people were good attorneys worth their weight, would have pumped the brakes and needed an explanation as to how the story was getting straight. And even at one point when the detective's talking about, well, the first two or three stories you get are going to be a lie, but the more you have them tell the story, the less of a lie it is. I feel like even someone who's never stepped in a courtroom before is going to be alarmed at... Uh, just hopefully it's incompetence. Well, listen, you let's know, go to Detective Daryl Massey. I cannot stand that man. Are I, we getting ahead of ourselves? No, okay. I am right daggum on track. This happened in the first episode. I, he, he even says, in the first episode, that they fixated on Adnan because they got the phone calls that led to them getting Adnan's phone records, which led to somehow Jay being interviewed. Where Jay came into all of this, I don't freaking know, but he said that they did not focus on Don. Don was Hay's current boyfriend. At the time that she went missing, she had been dating Don. They had not been dating very long. But if you talk to Don now, he says he was madly in love with her. Oh, yeah. After two weeks of dating, he was insanely in love with her and cared for her very much. And thinks about her every single day. Yes. But... Now, Don worked where? He worked at Lens Crafters. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh -huh. Sorry. But... Yeah. So, Don worked at Lens Crafters with... Hey. Hey. And that is where he and Hay met. Guess who Don's manager was? His own mother. His own alibi was his freaking mom. So check this out. Police go to verify that he was at work. They find that his time card was modified because he didn't digitally clock in the way everyone did. But since his mother was the manager, she wrote him in after the fact to show that he was at work at the time that Hay had disappeared up to the point that she was her body was found. And that was never scrutinized by the detectives. 
the simple fact that of all of the course of employment, this one particular day, this gentleman is handwritten in by his manager, who happens to be his mother, who has an interest in not seeing him prosecuted. Never scrutinized. Oh, but you know something random? Because <clears throat> guess what? The police have Adnan's phone records. When he found out Hay was missing, what did Adnan do? He called Hay. He called Hay. He called Hay. He paged Hay. He's freaking out, thinking her parents are going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Thinking that she's off with her new boyfriend, doing whatever, because yeah. two consenting adults, whatever, do your thing. Never in his mind thinking that she was hurt or kidnapped or murdered. You know who didn't try to call Hay? Don. Don. And Not I'm thinking, once. I'm thinking, Don knew dang well she wasn't going to answer the phone. I don't know that. I don't know that. And you know what's sad is we will never know at this point more about Don or his involvement or lack thereof in Hay's disappearance. Because it was never scrutinized. It was never brought under the lens for further examination. They didn't even know about it until 2014 when no. Sarah Koenig was doing Serial. Which, by the way, Serial is an amazing podcast. Go give it a listen. All I'm saying about Dawn is, you know, everyone in this country is innocent until proven guilty. I believe in that. So I'm not going to say he killed her. What I am saying is there are so many questions about Don that were neglected to be asked that we will never get answers for at this point. So I'm going to go back to the DNA because we were talking about Don and Jay and Adnan had their uh, fingerprints and DNA taken. Well, guess what? They got some DNA from Hayes' car. Now, supposedly, Hayes' body was in the trunk when Adnan showed Jay, right? That's the story that he's saying. Mm -hmm. But what did they not do? They did not test the trunk for DNA. Why? Why would you not? Who? Why? I don't... (laughs) I don't understand. Plus, the DNA was never analyzed. Plus, there was a fingerprint on her rear view that does not match Jay, and it does not match Adnan, and it could very well freaking belong to the murderer. Here's another thing. You know, they mention, so there's a thing called levity when you're dealing with deceased people. Jay's initial statement was that Hay was laying on her side, kind of folded up in, in the trunk of her own car. Like the position that she was found when she was buried. Yes. However, all of the levity, and what levity is, is when you die and your blood stops moving, your your blood will follow gravity. So when a person dies and they're laying there for an extended period of time, wherever the lowest point of their body is, is where the blood will go. And it'll look blue or purple or even red. And the rest of the tissue will be pale. All of the levity on Hay was on full frontal, meaning soon after she died, she was laying flat on her face. Face down. Face down. Not laying on her side. 
the blood wasn't pulled on the right side or the left side. It was all pulled toward the front of the body. So if Jay is even remotely involved, his stories sure don't add up. But you want to know something else about Jay? What? What did Jay get caught with before he ever became involved in this case? Oh, a whole lot of weed. Yeah. See, Jay got picked up for marijuana possession and uh, aggravated marijuana possession shortly before he ever came into this scenario. But did Jay catch any charges? Was there any record of it? Nope. But they dang sure got him on pen and paper involved in this in this crime, making several statements that do not add up. So, speaking of Jay, you know, in 2009 he was arrested for domestic assault, domestic abuse, and in front of a minor. Yet, he didn't serve any time. Like, didn't even have to post bond. They arrested him. Mm-hmm. He's out. How many arrests? Over 20. It was 25. 25 arrests. (laughs) I don't understand. And one of them was aggravated assault against a police officer. There was two of them that were aggravated assault against a police officer. But his girlfriend at the time that he abused, um, she never knew of his involvement in this. He never, she, he never discussed his involvement with Adnan and with Hay in the relation to his arrest with his girlfriend. She had no idea that he had played a part in it. And he was charged in the crime. As an accessory mm-hmm. after the fact with a maximum of five years and didn't have to serve a day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Was it, uh, it was suspended or deferred? It was deferred, yeah. Yes. So then you've got Detective Massey again. This piece of work claiming that jay oh he's not an informant but rather he's a witness yeah he goes on this spiel he's like guys when it's murder you're not an informant you're either a witness or you're a defendant and with jay and the case of the circumstances he brought forth he was sitting right on the fence no you freaking moron jay he he's nothing but if he is something He is an accessory after the fact. And I mean, he's nothing by... These detectives have fed him this freaking story. And you can just tell by the way that he's messing up and he's not getting it right. And when they're sitting with him in the recording room, you can hear them tapping on the desk. And you can hear them sliding papers down in front of him. Oh, it just irritates me. We'll get more into that here in the next episode. But anyhow, accessory after the fact is still a crime. It's still illegal and it's still worth prison time. Yet he got nothing and it irritates the snot out of me. Adnan has lost 23 and a half years of his life because of this and it is still continuing. So I'm going to go on. Now here's the thing. (laughs) Adnan went in for questioning at 17 Ended up bonded over in jail. Never bonded out, did he? Before no. the first trial. No, they it, wouldn't it, let him because so, his his Muslim family, his Muslim community, they showed up. And they were going to... This is not something that you'll find in the documentary. 
um, they were going to post bond and they were going to be able to get him out. But then the prosecutor said that he should not be released because he would be a danger to society after the crime that he had just committed. And he has the means to get out of town, get out of state, get out of country and make it back to Pakistan Mm -hmm. where he could be protected by his family. Yes. And so, no, they did not allow him out. So he's convicted after all of the proceedings and everything. What date, babe? What's the date we're looking for here? When was he released? Adnan? Yes. Check it out. Spends 23 years. The first 23 years of his adult life he spends behind bars for a crime that he still to this day maintains his innocence for. The prosecutors of Baltimore, Maryland dismissed the charges against Adnan Saeed on October 11th of 2022. And reversed his sentence. Vacated his sentence. Yes. So even the state... Like he's completely exonerated. ...has basically came out and said, we've made a terrible mistake. This He did not commit this crime. And he's now been released... I believe he's been studying law. The reason we're talking so much about Adnan in this, and there's going to be a second part to this, the reason we're talking so much about Adnan, as well as Hay, is because not only in this story is Hay a victim, but Adnan, and we are now seeing the proof, is also a victim of the negligence that stems from the Baltimore Police Department. It's just injustice. And it's not even the police department. It's also his original defense attorney. I mean, Robbia says it also. The state's theory was that Hay was murdered within 20 minutes of her leaving school. So she would have left with Adnan. And they would have left at 2.15 that day. They would have went to Best Buy where he strangled her. And then Adnan would have called Jay. If he could account for those 30 minutes, because he calls Jay at what, 2.36? Yeah. If he could account for those 30 minutes, then that's his alibi. He's fine. He's in the clear. So Adnan tells Rabia about Asia McLean's letters. Oh my gosh. Asia McLean, let me tell you what. She is quirky she is fun she is organized she is ocd and i'm a little bit in love with (laughs) asia mclean because she just makes my heart happy (laughs) but he tells rabia and i'm like listen there was a girl that wrote me a letter about a year ago um asia mclean says that i was in the library with her uh during that time i gave the information to christina gutierrez which by the way was his first attorney right And Christina checks with Asia, and she tells Adnan, no, no, she got the date wrong. Adnan never brought it up again. He didn't think that he had to bring it up, because his attorney checked it out. Well, guess what? His attorney actually never contacted Asia at all. Lied to him. She lied to him. His alibi witness, and she lied to him, so she didn't have to talk to her. So then, Christina Gutierrez died of MS in 2004. But she was actually disbarred, and it went public a couple years later that many of the clients 
that she had, she had actually messed up with, and their sentences were vacated. So she gets a hold of Rabia, and she tells her the the truth and the whole story about the conversation that she was having with Adnan in the library when the homicide was supposed to have been happening. Rabia asks her, will you put this in an affidavit? Now, the reason we go with affidavits instead of just, hey, will you write this down on paper, is affidavits are set up differently than just a story. Uh, there's an affiance section where basically in an affidavit, you are becoming an affiant and you are declaring under oath, under the penalty of perjury, that every word in that statement is true. So she agreed. She put this statement in an affidavit and had it signed. Uh, but that didn't happen until like 2010, did it? No, the affidavit was in 2000. It was after he was sentenced. It was right after the sentencing. Yeah. Okay. But unfortunately, at that point, they could only deal with direct appeals with technical issues and no new evidence. And they had to wait until 2010 where they could have a post-conviction relief petition. So... We're going to have a garbage moment. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> uh, Maryland State's prosecutor, Kevin Urich. Man, well, this guy's... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> garbage, um, trash, useless, also unworthy of the same air that I breathe. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. Uh, when it comes to, you know, working with state's attorneys even the credibility of law enforcement as a whole i've got a great deal of faith in almost all of them a few bad apples makes the whole bunch look rotten i'll tell you that well but who these hates- guys are rotten they're they're not even garbage you know your garbage disposal in your sink and how you clean it out every six months or so, oh, well, and that gunk, every three months, but that okay. <laughs> gunk that builds up yeah. under the little rubber flap mm-hmm. that's almost impossible to get out, that's this state's prosecutor guy in a nutshell. Like, gunk. Mr. Urich, whatever his name is, he's the gunk, man. He is the stuff that settles at the bottom of your washing machine and makes your clothes smell funny when they come out of the dryer. Uh, (laughs) Go for it. So listen, Kevin Urich. So in 2010, when they are waiting for their post-conviction relief petition, and it's granted, they're, uh, of course, Rabia is talking to Asia Asia at this point is like, you know, who better is going to know what's going on than the prosecutor? Let me give him a call, see what he has to say. So he just straight up just lies to Asia. She, on the stand, he tells the court that he lied about why she called him. He said that the family was harassing her, that they were depending on this, that they were begging her to do this. And that's just not the case at all. Uh, He also told Asia a lot of lies, um, said that there was DNA, and and don't get me wrong, because there was DNA. He told her it was conclusive. Yes. And and that it was a match. 
He failed to tell her that it was negative to Adnan. They had two DNA samples that were on her when she was found. On her shoes. And they never tested the DNA. So here's the thing. There were two samples of DNA that were taken off of Hay's body when she was found. On her shoes. They were never tested. Now... If you know you've got your guy, especially under the with the scrutiny that this case fell under, with the appeals, with you know a mistrial and having to try again, they've had 23 years to run this DNA. They have samples from both Jay and Adnan to compare against. Why wouldn't they just send it in and close the case? If they knew the DNA evidence that they had, this whole case literally falls on Jay's story. Jay's story, which still, to this day, the more you look at it, the more doubt it brings up to you. The less credible his statement seems. Why not just shut everybody up with the DNA? They never tested it. Because the state doesn't have the faith, obviously that the DNA evidence is going to be conclusive to who they charged and convicted with the crime. Yeah. And I think that's shameful. It is. I totally agree. And and guys, I'm just I'm just going to tell you. Now, the state of Maryland has come out, released Adnan, vacated his sentence. They're acknowledging that they've screwed up. And we have detectives here that had their high-five session after they got the conviction, after they got the arrest. And honestly, I feel like, you know, who's going to issue probable cause? I, I, I have a hard time believing this case ever made it through a preliminary hearing. Oh, I am telling you something. You know? Well, listen, because now we've got Susan Simpson stepping into the picture. And, oh, <laughs> Fangirl so hard. Also, did you see her walking on that screen? I mean, girl, I brought it up to you. Girl has she had been to tell doing the camera some people. squats. She had to tell the camera people. <laughs> They're like, look. So when this girl first appears in one of the documentaries that we watched, it you don't even see her face, but you've got a clear shot of her ass as she's walking up these stairs and I'm like, babe, you know she was working on them squats. <laughs> she said, let me she get was this angle. heavy in the squat rack <laughs> and she was like, hey, could, when you're doing my intro, could you just follow me up these stairs and just zero in on that <laughs> for me? <laughs> anyway, Susan Simpson, I love her. I want to be her. I want to hug her. I would also scream and pass out if she acknowledged me. <laughs> um, so can I just hug her too? <laughs> But Susan Simpson, she breaks down so much about Jay and she nitpicks it all. And let me tell you, I'm just going to say it right now and then we'll come back to it. And I know I keep saying that. I'm super sorry. We'll come back to it. But she finds the fact sheet. That's all that matters. Okay. No (laughs) joke. Okay. The facts cover sheet. Yes, 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 yes. From AT&T. Here is Jay on his second interview with the police, right? So he walks into the police station, 3.05, he is initialing his Miranda waiver. It is all signed and stamped and sealed. 3.05. And then the tape starts. At 
It is 20 minutes past 6 p.m. Hmm. Uh, so what the heck did they do for three hours and 20 minutes? Right, Susan? Sign the Miranda. I, I, I don't know what shows you guys are watching, but most interviews I've seen, Miranda signed right before the interview starts. And this whole idea of, you know, well, you know, we had to set him down and we had to pick his brain and we had to pick out all the lies out of his story and we had to call him out on his lies. That's valuable information. And it's it's really dangerous when you're relying on a witness that if he's really that unreliable to recall the truth, if that's what he's trying to recall, it's really dangerous. Just get rid of him because it's not... Oh, listen, you know what liars do? They tell lies, and they can't keep their lies straight, and they continue to stumble over them. You know what people who tell the truth do? They say the same story time and time and time and time again. You unless, know, unless you're a victim of a traumatic event, and then yes. it takes a few days to clarify the details. But And even then, you can repress them for years and years, and... That is understandable. We don't victim shame by any means. Jay's not a victim here. Jay has done a complete wrong. He has taken away years of someone's life. He has taken away peace from Heyman Lee and her family. And her, like I said, her murderer still walks amongst us. So, Susan is going through all of this, and here is where you can hear them tapping. Here is where you can hear the officers laying things out. As Jay is trying to tell his story as to what happened, and they're like, now I need you to think on that. Literally every time he starts to deviate from the story that they've basically fed him. Fed him. You can literally hear the corrections as they're happening. Or they're just feeding him the information at all. Okay, so then you went to Best Buy. Okay, so then you left her house. Okay, and then you did this. Then you did that. And, and you know, when you're, when you're interviewing an adult, okay, sometimes if you know they're holding back, it's okay to, to lead and draw the truth from them if you know you're on the right track. They were straight up coercing this witness into the story they wanted to tell. And and that is that's that's hard for me to say, you know, about any police officer, knowing the amount of scrutiny that you fall under. But guys, it's it's disgusting the amount of negligence. The facts are out here now to show you and they have been for a long time that they've had the wrong person in custody. And it's not so much about, oh, hey, we've got the wrong person in custody. It's about who really killed Hay. Right. Who really killed her? Who really deserves to be in prison? The justice is undone. The justice is not it's satisfied. It's not been served, right. Yet... A simple mark of conviction on this case, and the state of Balt of Maryland has been holding on for dear life to this case, simply so they don't lose one win in the books. So, 
Susan Simpson finds a typo on the police's end where they have gone through the phone calls of Adnan's. Oh, I'm glad you're covering this part because it gets way too complicated for me to track. (laughs) It's the difference of A and C. B and C. (laughs) B and C. So they have mapped out where the cell towers would be, right? And they have written down yada yada B. But really it was supposed to... No, I lied. They have it written down as C and really was supposed to be B. And B would have been okay because that would have put it within Jin's house. Because at the time he was with Mm -hmm. Jin. But they actually have it in the wrong section. So they have to make up another lie and say Jay had to change his story that the call came in from Jin's house. You know, the come get me call, which happened at... 236 and now supposedly the call actually came in between jay and jen's house when he was driving when he had left but yet if the come get me call was at 236 didn't jen testify that jay left her house between 330 and 345 and then jay claimed on tape that he actually left at 340 so if the come get me call was at 236 and he was leaving Jen's house, going to his house. How did he end up going back? He didn't because it doesn't fit the remainder of their story. None of it makes sense because none of it happened. And Jay is full of it. So these cops have their map wrong because they're feeding him the story. And they're feeding him the places of where they think he should have been. Oof. So then we get to Ivan Bates, Baltimore City's former prosecutor. And I actually really liked what this guy had to say. Um, He was talking about Kevin Urich and how he rushes through a lot of his cases just to get them behind him so he can move on to the next one. Yeah. And he doesn't really take the time to prosecute and get the information that he truly needs. But, you know, what Kevin Urich also did? He got an attorney for Jay Wilde. Remember when they said that Anne, uh, I'm going to say her name wrong. I'm not going to apologize. I did not read it phonetically. Again, I don't apologize. <laughs> Anne Binaroa, close enough. She did it pro bono. And according to Ivan Bates, a public defender would not have done it for free. They would have been paid by the state. Yeah. But yet... Anne was Jay's attorney for free, pro bono. Which means somebody called in that favor. Yeah. And that's when he was charged with accessory after the fact, which carries a maximum sentence of five years. That sounds like a load of crap. And they also stated that his case was heard by a different judge who was notorious about giving younger offenders a second second chance. chance. He did not go in front of the same judge that as Adnan. That's also why Jay got a deferred sentence. Because the judge was like, oh, you're a high school graduate. Listen, you got a long life ahead of you. Quit doing this tragic stuff. So we got a deferred sentence. And basically what the deferred sentence means is, hey, man, sign this guilty waiver. We're all going to go on with our lives. Don't kill. Don't rape. And everything will drop off in a few years. And it'll be like this never happened. Speaking of never happened, we're going to end this episode with Kathy Christie. So, 
she admits openly that she wholeheartedly believes that Adnan is guilty. Mm. She says that Detective McGillivary, she says that Detective McGillivary is the one who told her that all of these events happened on January 13th, right? Mm-hmm. And she says in court that she knows that it happened that day because it was all the same day. And in her memory, she went to a conference. Conference. Thank you. That C word was not populating in my head. <laughs> so she says that Adnan and Jay came over to her apartment, but that couldn't have been the case. Because private investigators went back to her college transcripts and attendance, and she was in a three-day interim winter class. That was only on Wednesdays, which, January 13, 1999, was a Wednesday. And if this occurred, she says, between 5.45 and 6.30, the class started at 6 p.m., she couldn't have missed it. Because it was a seasonal winter class and only three classes, three consecutive Wednesdays, she would have failed the class had she missed it. When she first sees it, she's like, well, maybe I blew off class. And then she looks at it again and she's like, wait, but I got a B. And this was only three sessions for this class. She was like, if I would have missed a day of class, I would have failed this class. She's like, so I had to have been in school on the day that this happened. So it couldn't have been January 13th that Adnan and Jay were at her apartment. It had to be another day. So the state just botched so much of this. But remember who fed her the information. It's Detective McGillivary. Mm-hmm. So guys, this is just the first um, cover of Adnan Saeed that we're going to do. There's going to be a second episode, which is going to recap episode four of the case against Adnan Saeed. And then I'm going to give you all the information that has happened from 2019 to now, which would include the DNA evidence. Oh, there's so much. There's a bombshell that Rabia has not released. I'm listening to Undisclosed. I personally will not release that when she does release it. That's not for me to do. You guys go listen to Rabia. She is amazing. I call her queen because she is. She's been ass. <laughs> um, I just want to hug her. <laughs> I will give you the information that I have from then to now. So, so is stay- this it? Is this it? Are we wrapping up our second podcast? Yeah, we're wrapping up yeah. the second episode. You guys, this and, and y'all didn't even get the end of the story. How's that feel? Oh, I hate to do it to you. Oh, man. But stay tuned for next episode. Thanks for keeping us company. Mm-hmm.